right, I forgot to mention something. Uh, Pastor McMurtry's not here today. I'm the one that's preaching. Uh, he is in Florida. He will be back this Wednesday. So uh, hopefully I can do a decent job in his absence. Uh, but the, this morning I want to direct your attention to Ecclesiastes chapter number 3. The book of Ecclesiastes is probably my favorite book in the Bible, and there's not much of a space between it and my second favorite. Uh, there is so much great wisdom and truth that's packed into this book, so many things about our world and our society that would do a lot of people a lot of good if they got a hold of some of these truths. And a lot of times I feel like it gets kind of neglected because you've got the book of Proverbs right before it that perfectly has 31 chapters in it. And so a lot of people will make a habit of just reading a chapter of the book of Proverbs every day. And I think that that's a great idea, and you'll be very well off if you make it a habit to read a proverb every day, start your day out with that. But, you know, the same guy that wrote the book of Proverbs wrote the book of Ecclesiastes in an older, wiser state. You know, so there's, in my opinion, even more wisdom that you can glean from the book of Ecclesiastes. When I was originally putting this sermon together, I wanted to do a part one and a part two, just a whole overview of the book of Ecclesiastes, one this morning and one this evening. But I started putting it together, and I mean, there's 12 chapters. It probably would take 12 sermons to really do it justice, so we're not doing that this morning. Uh, what I want to do is I want to just focus on two different parts. This morning, I want to focus on the first part of chapter number three about uh, being a time for everything. This evening, I want to talk about the vanity that's in the book of Ecclesiastes and just a really key concept that you need to get a hold of. So uh, be looking forward to that if you're planning on staying around. But this morning I'd like to start off in verse number 1 in chapter number 3 where you saw it read, To everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under the heaven. So God gave us emotions. God gave us all different things in the world. And something that people do today is they try to neglect all the negative things in the world, try to, to neglect all the negative emotions or negative feelings, and act like there's basically never a moment in time that you're ever allowed to be sad, that you're ever allowed to fight, that you're ever allowed to feel hatred or any one of these things. But this passage clearly lines out there's a time for everything. Now, the key is understanding when to do the right thing. You know, if your, you know, ladies, if your husband comes home and brings you flowers after he gets off work, that's probably not a time of war. That's probably a time of love. You know, it would be really off-putting if flowers started a war in the house or a major fight. I don't know what's going on. I'm not trying to get involved in your marriage this morning. But, you know, there is a time for everything. And we should not neglect certain things. And I think that as we go through this, you'll start to see what I'm saying. A major problem that's happening and plaguing our society today is people acting like they're only allowed to be happy. They're only allowed to be sad. And then it's like a negative emotion comes over them. And they act like the world's ending and they, you know, they, they can't function, they can't do anything because of a misunderstanding of how we should feel. So basically what I want to do with this chapter for the length of the sermon is I want to just go through each one of these phrases that gets off. There's two different uh, sections to each verse comparing two things that are basically opposite to one another and explain how the two things work together and how it's important not to neglect these things. So the very first one, it says, a time to be born and a time to die. So everyone loves to celebrate the birth of a new child. It's an exciting thing, right? We have children that are being born in this church all the time. My family just had a son, I think, probably seven weeks ago now. And we're excited about that. Brother Chris, they just had a baby. 
Uh, so it's a wonderful thing, but nobody would be celebrating death, right? No one wants to enjoy death or anything like that because death is a sad thing. And oftentimes, especially when it's a younger person that dies, it's even more tragic and more mourning and more upset because, you know, in our minds, you're not supposed to die young. And we, you know, I hope that that would never happen to anybody in here. But every person in this world was born, and until Jesus Christ comes back, every person in this world will die someday. And it's a thing that's like happening all around society. The elephant in the room is that everybody's going to die someday, but nobody wants to think about death. Nobody wants to dwell on death. But the thing is, if people would consider death, then maybe it would change a lot of the things that they do in their life. Later on in the book of Ecclesiastes, we'll talk about this passage later tonight, but it basically talks about it's better to mourn than it is to laugh. And I think I'm actually talking about that later this morning too. But, you know, it's, well, that doesn't make sense. Why would you rather be sad? Why would you rather be mourning? Well, the thing is, when you're mourning, you're considering more about what's actually happening in your life. Laughter is like a medicine. Laughter, the Bible says, you know, a merry heart doeth good like a medicine. Well, when you think about medicine, what kind of medicine would laughter be? It's more like a painkiller. It doesn't actually solve the problem. It just distracts you from any of the different things going on in society. And I'm not saying that I have a problem with jokes or anything like that. I've been around people my entire life making jokes. And if you know me, you're friends with me. I like to make jokes and things like that. But in reality, does laughter in any situation ever just solve a problem on its own? No. It covers problems. It makes you feel better. It distracts you from it. But mourning will actually help you address a problem. It will actually make a more impactful change in your life over time. We can't just neglect the difficult things in life or else we'll be left just doing the same thing, never making any progress forward and never learning anything. The next part, a time to plant and a time to pluck up that which is planted. We're in the harvest season right now, and it's exciting to get to reap the things that are planted, you know. Uh, my wife, they, they gave us pumpkins at my job, and we came home. We cut all the seeds out of it. She baked them, and, you know, that's the first time I've ever eaten pumpkin seeds, but I actually thought they tasted pretty good, you know. So you can reap the benefits, but the thing is, it took somebody in the springtime or the early summer to actually put in work and plant that seed so that you could reap the benefits at a later time. Which is the fun part? The fun part is the harvest because you then you get to enjoy everything. But it's not fun to sit back and reap. We know from Scripture, if you hold your place in Ecclesiastes 3, go to Galatians chapter number 6. You know, you don't just, this isn't just referring to planting and harvesting crops. Galatians chapter number 6, verse 7, Be not deceived, God is not mocked, for whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. All the different things that we do in life, we're either sowing towards the future or we're reaping something that's already been sown, whether it was sown directly by us or somebody else in our life. You know, it's hard work and it takes dedication to take the time to do these things, but the rewards pay off after a long period of time. You know, uh, especially, you know, when you think about moms raising younger children, it's a lot of work, you know, and especially as the kids are a lot younger, you're not reaping any of the benefits or the rewards of it. It's 100% effort, you know, especially as they're younger, you're just trying to make sure that they're alive and just keep them alive, don't fall down the stairs or don't do whatever. 
But as they get older, you start to reap the benefits of putting love in and putting the work in and caring for them. But then you have other parents that just neglect their kids, don't pay attention to their kids, and eventually they reap the reward of not taking care of their children, not caring for their children, and have very damaged sad relationships there. So think about that. Yes, times are hard. Yes, we have difficult things. But all the difficult things in life do a lot more good for you than all of the pleasure things and all of the fun things in life. It's the difficult things that you go through that make you into a better person, that shape you into the person that you are today. No one, Very rarely are you going to have your life completely changed by just a fun experience. When you think about life-changing scenarios for you, you know, aside from like maybe marriage or birth of a child, it's usually something negative that happened to you, whether it be a death in the family or whether it be, you know, just some kind of tragedy that happened in your life that changed the person that you are today. It's difficult things that make that change. It's the good things that help you in between the difficult things and make them easier to go through. You'll see more of that as I'm going through here. Uh, verse number three, a time to kill, and back in Ecclesiastes chapter number three, if you're not there, a time to kill and a time to heal. Throughout the Christian life, we're going to be dealing with a much greater amount of healing than we are killing. You know, the hope would be that you never have to kill anybody. But don't just get this attitude, there's never a place for that no matter what. Okay, so if a guy walks in here with a gun and starts to try to kill people, do we just say, nope, it's a time to heal? No, that's a time to fight. You know, we defend. We're not just going to let somebody come in here and just massacre this place. There is a time for that. And the problem is, is just saying that there's never a good time to, you know, do any of the bad things that are on here. And we'll get into them. There's never a time to hate. There's never a time of war. There's never a time of kill. That's not true. There is a time. It's our job to understand when to do those things and when to apply those things. The next part, a time to weep and a time to laugh. So these are both expressions of deep emotions. You know, when you're weeping, it's because something has made you very sad. Sometimes you just get so happy that you start to cry, you know. Um, then there is a laugh. You, you know, something's funny and you just really start laughing. If something's really funny, you'll just laugh a really long time, sometimes obnoxiously, sometimes annoyingly. You know, you can just make somebody laugh so hard and they just won't stop laughing, you know. Then it's not funny anymore, you know. But so you'll have different things like that. And it's like in our society today, the only thing you're allowed to do is laugh. You're not ever allowed to express sadness. You're not ever allowed to cry. People act like there's something wrong with you. Proverbs chapter 17, verse 22, I referenced it earlier. A merry heart doeth good like a medicine, but a broken spirit drieth the bones. Now, there's a big issue that's plaguing our country right now, and it's a mental health crisis. And there, there's so many different opinions on that, but I'm the person preaching the sermon, so I'm giving my opinion this morning. And if you disagree with me, you're allowed to disagree with me. You know, but I think that, you know, I, first of all, I think that it's a real thing, all right? I don't think people are just walking around and faking and pretending like all this stuff is fake. I don't think anxiety is fake. I don't think depression is fake or any one of these things. But here's my opinion. Too many people in our society have been raised in environments and been told that they're never allowed to feel any form of sadness. They're never feeling any form of grief or any one of these things. It's like the only thing that they do in the environments that they're raised in is just try to make them happy. Kids are crying. Kids are upset. Kids are fussing. Just give them whatever they want so that they'll be happy. 
Well, eventually these kids grow up, and the thing is, when you become an adult, there isn't somebody, your parents aren't just there handing you all the things you want to continually make you happy over time. And so then when you grow up and you don't have people handing you whatever you want to make you happy all the time, then you experience this thing called sadness. Maybe you experience mourning. And then it's like your whole life you've been happy, and now all of a sudden you experience something that you've never experienced before, sadness or mourning or any one of these things. And you're so used to only feeling one way that all of a sudden a new emotion comes in, which is sadness or grief or any one of these things, and you don't know what to deal with it. And you don't understand how to do it. And it's like there's so many people in society that they just have like two personalities. It's either I'm really happy today or I'm extremely depressed and suicidal today. You shouldn't be that way. You have to think about why you're feeling the way. And I'm telling you right now, a lot of you all know me. You know, I come from a family where basically my entire immediate family is dead. All right? I am sad about that. I wish that it didn't happen, but I wouldn't be the person that I am today had none of those things happening in the past. You know, it's hard things to deal with, but I'm telling you, if I were somebody who just never experienced any of that, then I would eventually go on and just be like one of the fools today in society. I guarantee that I would. Because the next part says, a time to mourn and a time to dance. And if you flip over a couple chapters to Ecclesiastes chapter number 7 and verse 2, it said, it is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting, for that is the end of all men. The house of mourning is the house of all men. And the living will lay it to his heart. You know, when we go and fellowship this afternoon and we're eating food and we're thinking and we're just having friendly conversations and having a good time with one another, that's not going to impact our lives, all right? We're just eating, we're going to have a good time, everything's good. But if you went to a funeral of somebody that you deeply cared about and you see them lying in a casket and you realize that they're not alive anymore, that's going to leave an impression on you. Funerals are where decisions get made. Funerals, you know, is one of the most... Family dramatic places in the world, there's so much drama that goes into it, whether it's just the decorations there or any one of these little things that happen. But it's because a family basically just gets shell-shocked because a member that was there with them for a long time is gone. And when you lose somebody that's in your family, it's a big deal, especially if you're a close, tight-knit family. So it causes a lot of problems with one another. But, you know, today, it's like we've never felt bad before or people very rarely feel upset and they feel bad and you shouldn't neglect being sad or being emotional about something god gave you the ability to be sad god gave you the ability to mourn he gave you the ability to grieve there's instructions all throughout the new testament and the well, specifically the old testament on how to mourn and when it talks about shaving their head wearing black clothing doing everything just to signify i'm mourning right now and then you have people today it's like they see somebody mourning, they tell them, there's something wrong with you. Why are you not happy? Why are you not rejoicing right now? Well, because something really bad just happened. You know, you wouldn't go up to somebody that their leg got chopped off and ask them why they're not walking, you know, but then all of a sudden you see somebody that has a great tragedy happen to their life, and even if you don't think it's that big of a deal, to them it's a huge deal, and then wonder, why aren't you functioning normally? Well, because they're having a hard time digesting that really bad problem, and they've never experienced any of these things. You know, we can look at things in life and just try. When you're reading through this, as we keep on going, you'll notice every one of them is basically the direct opposite of the thing that is being discussed. 
And everybody only wants to do the fun things. Everybody only wants to experience the fun things. It is not the fun things that make a difference in your life. You have to have a balance of both. The fun things, like I said earlier, are there to help you get through the bad times. You know, if your whole life was just nothing but mourning, then you would have a problem. But the thing is, no one's ever going to say that someone needs to go to therapy if basically the only thing they're ever experiencing is just overwhelming joy, you know. But that only ability to experience overwhelming joy, when grief comes along, that sole ability to experience one emotion is going to turn into a negative emotion. And then everybody sees a problem. Then everybody wants you to go to therapy. Then everybody wants you to take the medicine to try to help you work through these things. And I'm telling you, it's an inability to just function on normal problems that people have. I'm not downplaying it. I'm not saying that these people aren't expressing legitimate issues that they have. But I'm saying that we as a society need to do a better job raising people and preparing people to feel all the different emotions that we have. We can't just put on this fake persona of just everything's great, everything's wonderful. You know what? Everything's not always great, and it's not always wonderful. My house right now, it, we just integrated a new baby, and we're happy. We love him. But you know what? He doesn't sleep that much at night. And so it's not always fun, <laughs> you know, at 2 o'clock in the morning, waking up and crying. And last night at 1 o'clock in the morning, the other kids started crying because they had a bad dream or something. So you got to get up and lull them back to sleep. I should be sleeping during that time. You know what I mean? So it, it's, life isn't always fun. Life doesn't always have the most amazing things. But it's how you react and how you respond in the negative situations and the bad situations that form you into the person that you are today. The good times are good times for a reason because they don't require that much effort. They don't require that much work. The bad times are what the good times need to be preparing you for. Take advantage of the times when things are rough to prepare yourself for when times are rough, which brings me to my next point. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. This is, I think, referring to fighting. You know, usually if you're trying to gather stones together, it's because you're going to throw them at somebody. Sometimes you need to throw the stones at somebody. Sometimes you need to put the stones away and not fight about it. And, you know, some people want to just shy away from a fight and never engage in one at all. Other people want to fight all the time and get mad at people who don't want to fight. You know, and so it's like just, you know, dragging you into it. You don't want to fight. Well, there's something wrong with you. You should be fighting anyways. Here's a couple things that you need to ask yourself before you end up getting into a fight. I covered some of this in Sunday school. But just a couple questions. What will be the outcome if you win the fight? And I'm not just talking about, you know, a physical fist fight, whether it be just an argument with a friend, argument with a family member. What will be the outcome if you win the fight? Number two. What will be the outcome if you lose the fight? Because you could lose. You don't necessarily know that you're going to win the argument. You might get stumped or any one of these things. And what, you know, is it worth it to engage in the fight and you lose? If, you, if that outcome plays out, is it worth to you? Because if it's not worth it, then you might just not want to engage in the fight at all. You know, if it's going to burn a bridge down and all these other things, if you lose the fight, maybe you should just not do it. You know, another thing, will there even be a winner or a loser? Because sometimes people just go into fight and they just fight each other and they hurt each other and there's no winners and everybody's a loser. And you know what? Why would you engage in that? What's the purpose of it? You know, I'm not saying to just shy away from fights. There is a time to fight. But when you just get super ready and ready to go and fight and throw the punches and do all these other things, you don't even consider to yourself what the end result of that is going to be. 
you might beat the other person up, but then someone's recording you on video on the side, and now your life's ruined because you just committed assault, and now you're going to jail for it or something. But, you know, think about what I'm saying. Yes, there are times that you can fight. Yes, there are conflicts. But you know what? In my opinion, a lot of conflicts today, especially the ones that are online, not even worth it to engage in. People aren't going to respond to you. And especially when you're online, you are a profile picture and a name. People don't know you as a person. People don't know your feelings. They don't actually care about you. They don't know anything about you. And people are bold behind a keyboard. But you know, on the other side of that profile picture and name is a human being. Most of the time, there's a lot of robots out there that are posing as fake people, but that's a whole other discussion. You know, people are actually there. They actually get hurt by these things. It actually messes with them. And you have people that just their entire life is just consumed by things online. It's not worth it. There's no reason to engage yourself so much in these things that you're basically just hurting yourself, hurting everybody else. And it's like, I'll see people, they just, all their effort goes into just fighting and fighting and fighting and fighting. But then it's like when they're done with the fight, they come back behind closed doors and it just tore them up and ripped them to shreds. Why would you do that? It's not worth it. Nobody's making you do this. You're voluntarily doing it to yourself and you're hurting yourself. There's a time to fight. There's a time to not fight. There's a time to gather stones together. There's a time to cast them away. You have to know what to do. And ask yourself questions. Ask yourself if it's worth it. Because if it's not worth it, you're only doing damage. There's no purpose to it. The next part, it says there's a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing sometimes in the christian life there are people that we need to embrace that we need to welcome there's other times that we need to not embrace and cast them away you know people only want to love and to hold on to people but there are chapters in the bible first corinthians 5 is a whole chapter dedicated to explaining certain situations where we're to refrain from embracing and specifically cast people away for a moment of time And people get worried when you start talking about something like that. Like, what if they never return? What if they never want to? It's not about what we feel and what we think. Sometimes we just have to give it to God and have faith in him and know this is the recipe that God set up. This is what God said to do and trust that he knows best. There is a time that we're to embrace people. There's a time that we're not to embrace people. Sometimes, you know, there are just people that, you know, in a very literal sense, absolutely despise being hugged probably don't embrace them you know in a literal way you're not going to want to do that it's just going to it's going to be a complete opposite reaction of what it needs to be so basically with everything that we're doing think about it before you actually engage in doing it consider the situation consider the outcome of your actions both a good reaction and a negative reaction to everything that you do because your words, your actions, the things that you do, the way that you present yourself, it all matters. And people look at it, they determine things based off of it. And you need to be conscious enough to understand when you're doing something that is going to hurt people or it's not going to hurt people. These are all things, and especially even yourself. Which brings me to the next point. A time to get and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to cast away. We will always in our lifetime, it's just a guarantee, no matter how smart you are with your money, you're going to have financial ups and you're going to have financial downs. And the wise thing to do is when you have a financial up, prepare for a time that you're going to be in a financial down. And the other part of that, where it talks about a time to keep and a time to cast away, don't get so attached to the things that you have that you're not willing to let them go or give them up. Job chapter number one, you don't have to turn there, verse 21, 
and said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. We shouldn't be too attached to something that we have, whether it be, I mean, in very literal sense, this is what Job was talking about, whether it be a family member or whether it be a house that we have, whether it be a job that we have, we shouldn't be so attached to it that we might need to lose it, you know, because then it would hurt too bad. One, you might lose it. Two, somebody else might need it more than you will someday. And we should be willing to give it. Think about uh, Luke chapter number 19. Go ahead and turn to Luke chapter number 19. Uh, Somewhat familiar passage. You're probably familiar with it. Luke chapter number 19. I turned it on myself here. And verse number 29. It says, And it came to pass when he was come nigh unto Bethpage and Bethany at the mount called the Mount of Olives. He sent two of his disciples, saying, Go ye into the village over against you, in the which at your entering ye shall find a colt tied, whereon never, yet never man sat. Loose him and bring him hither. And if any man ask you, why do you loose him? Thus shall ye say unto him, because the Lord hath need of him. And they that were sent went their way and found even as he had said unto them. As they were loosing the colt, the owners thereof said unto them, why loose ye the colt? And they said, the Lord hath need of him. And brought they, and they brought him to Jesus, and they cast their garments upon the colt, and they set Jesus thereon. Those owners were willing, they loved the Lord so much that these two strangers could just walk up to them and say, the Lord has need of this animal, and they just let it go. Because somebody else needed it more than them. And as Christians, we need to understand that our life is more about sacrifice than just gaining and building our own personal empires. If people have needs, we should be willing to fulfill them. We should be doing all that we can to help them. And I'm not saying that you need to just be a homeless person, sell your house, give all your money to a random homeless guy on the side of the road. But I'm telling you that over time, don't get so attached to your possessions that you're never willing to help a person out. You know, if you can't go without, I don't know, a tool or something that somebody needs for an hour, you know, you're too attached to it. If you can't, you know, someday, you know, dads get this way. It's with their daughter. And, you know, it's easy for me to talk about because my daughter's two years old. I don't have to worry about this for a long time. Someday, someone's going to have more of a need of her than you are, you know, and you'll have to give her away. And that's a very emotional thing, but it's just life. It's something that happens. And yes, it's okay to be sad about that. Yes, it's okay, but it's also just the way that things are. And it's a difficult thing. And like I said, I've got minimum 16 years before I have to worry about that. So I can pound my chest about how easy it is all I want and no one can say anything about it. But, you know, it is important to consider these things, consider your possessions and ask yourself, is my possession worth more than my relationship with my brother in Christ? Is my possession worth more than my relationship with God? Because if God requires something of me, I would rather just submit to what God wants me to do than God have to pry it from my cold, dead hands. You know, we should be willing to do whatever the Lord wants us to do, not so attached to this world and the things around us that we're never willing to make any personal sacrifices for us. We have an example of Jesus Christ that willingly gave himself for us, and you have Christians complain about giving a tithe of their income. It's ridiculous, you know. We all 
should do everything that we do with Jesus Christ in mind and thinking about that personal sacrifice. And when you think about Jesus' sacrifice and compare it to what he asks us to do out of a free, willing heart, it's pretty pathetic to say no. But go back to Ecclesiastes chapter number 3 now. A time to rend and a time to sow, verse number 7 Sometimes things just need to be broken apart, whether that be relationships or things in your life. People like seeing finished products come together. You know, it's nice. I'm not into this at all. But, you know, if you're a woman and you're sewing and you're creating a piece of clothing, you love seeing that finished result. It's nice to see. People enjoy bringing things together and making things work. Sometimes things need to be ripped apart. You know, whether it's, you know, in the literal sense we're talking about sewing, if you have to rip something up and start over again with a thread that you already used, or sometimes just relationships in general. You know, we build relationships with people, we grow together with people, and sometimes they can get to the point where that relationship is just not going to be able to continue on anymore with a friend. And it would be doing more harm than good to maintain that relationship. Sometimes you just need to break it off. Things being broken off isn't always a bad thing. And sometimes it'll actually bring the friendship back together after a time apart. But, you know, think about one time that something was rent and how amazing it was. Aren't you glad that when Jesus died on the cross, the veil was torn between us and access directly to God? Imagine living in a world where you couldn't just freely communicate to God and where that we still had that temple. And all of us over here, you know, we're just... You know, nuts to us, we can't go to Jerusalem every single day and worship God where he intended us to be. Thank God that the veil on that temple was ripped. There are always positives to look at in different situations, even though negative things might be happening to you, even things that might be happening to you might make you upset, it doesn't mean that it's just a bad thing that you should never let affect you and never process it and deal with it. A time to keep silence and a time to speak. A lot of times people will say something like, silence is consent, when something is happening that shouldn't. You know, an, an example would be that, you know, I don't know, any of the stuff that was going on in 2020 with governments, and if you didn't say anything about the governments and you disagreed with it, then you're just consenting along, you're doing whatever. And you might have a valid argument there, but there are some times where silence is definitely not consent. Silence is just the best thing to do. There is a time to be silenced. There's a time to speak. And it's very important that you know which one. For example... Say that you disagree with somebody's parenting philosophy and you don't like the way that they're raising their kids. You have no reason to go and rip on some other parent and you know, tell them how bad they're doing and that everything they're doing is wrong or anything like that unless they come up to you and ask for your advice. You know, Don't just walk up to people and give unsolicited advice when they're not going to hear it. Because you know, your unsolicited advice may actually be the best thing for that person to receive at that point in time. But you got to understand, it's not always just about what people need. They're going to respond to that in some way, shape, or form. And a lot of people in today's society are extremely fragile. And if you come up and tell them that they're doing anything wrong at all, they just break like a dry spaghetti noodle and are just broken forever. And good luck ever telling them anything ever again and helping them out in any way, shape, or form. Sometimes... It's just better to keep silent and just wait for them to come up and ask you to say something. You know, when it comes to raising my children, I don't really like to talk about it much because, you know, I'm happy with my kids. I like the stuff that they're doing, but I'm not trying to raise, you know, toddlers. I'm trying to raise human beings that turn into adults someday. So 
you know, we can all sit back, especially with people with younger children do this all the time, where it's like their younger children are the best, these amazing kids and all the different stuff with them and walk around pounding their chest like they've just got the best little kids in the world. I'm not going to know until my kids get older whether or not what I'm doing as a parent works. So I don't really have much advice. You know, I could tell you what we do and I could act like I know what I'm doing because my kids behave well and I like them and I'm thankful for them. But I don't know, you know, and and people are just so eager to just give advice on things that they don't know the end of their results. They don't know the end of their actions. And I'm not up here, you know, preaching a damage Colson sermon for like 10 years from now and my kid turns out to be a disaster. You know, I really don't think that's going to happen. I hope not. But I don't want to sit up here and act like I'm just some authority on it and act like I know everything, because I don't know everything, and I'm learning as I go. And that's how everybody walking through parenthood is. And that that thing specifically, sometimes it's better to just keep silent and just not intrude on other people's lives. You're not an authority over other people. Even, you know, pastors aren't an authority on your immediate family. Pastors have an authority over this church and the way that things happen in the church. They don't have authority over each individual family unit, though. You know, if you ask for advice... I'm sure Pastor Murcher would be willing to give it to you, but I know for a fact Pastor Murcher doesn't think that he can come into your house and direct things and be the leader of the home. That's the dad's job, you know? And personally, as a dad, I'd be pretty offended if somebody came into my house and tried to do my job for me. And you know, if you're a mom, you'd probably be offended if somebody came into your house and tried to do the job for you. It's not always about what the right thing might be. Sometimes you just have to ask yourself, Would me speaking up and saying something do anything to help or benefit the situation at all? And I think, honestly, in today's society, most of the time you'll find yourself saying that silence is probably the better way to go. It just is. But now, with that, it brings us to a time to love and a time to hate. Now, when I was a child, I was taught that hate is a very strong word. But I wasn't taught you never use that word under any circumstance at all. I believe that hate is a very strong word, just like I believe that love is a very strong word. You know, I wouldn't walk around and just walk up to random women and tell them that I love them the same way that I tell my wife that I love her. For a number of different reasons, but one reason is that it's just going to make it lose meaning and lose power. You know, if I'm just saying that to every woman that walks by, saying that I'm in love with her or whatever, then when I go up and tell it to my wife, She's not really special anymore. She's just basically another woman. But, you know, if I reserve that and that feeling just for my wife, then when I tell my wife that I love her, all of a sudden it means something. All right? Now, take hatred. If I'm just walking around to every random stranger that I see do something that I don't like and just yelling at them, I hate you, and I don't like you, and throwing a tantrum like a child, because that's what children do, then all of a sudden, now, from now on, me telling somebody that I hate them or I hate what you're doing, it just doesn't have any meaning behind it. And all of a sudden, hate, which is a very strong word, loses its society. But if you have somebody that goes through their whole life, and here's the thing when it comes to the Christian life, there's going to be a lot more love than there is going to be hate. And if you find yourself just so overcome and overwhelmed with hatred and fighting and all these other things, you're probably not walking in the Spirit. I know that we live in a wicked world. I know that there's all kinds of things around us. But listen, you are supposed to be the number one and number two commandment of the Christian life is to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. And if you do all of those, if you do those two things and you do them right according to the scriptures, all the law is hung on those. 
You're not going to be committing sins if you're doing those two things. And so your life should be a lot more focused on love. But that doesn't mean that there's just never a time to hate and that there's never a reasonable time to hate. And believe me, there are plenty of things in this world that I hate and I'm disgusted with. And so if I want to get a message across that something is wicked, that something in society is terrible, that something is really bad, I hope that I haven't destroyed my ability to say anything by sounding the alarm on every little petty thing that I disagree with and just lighting people up and saying that I hate them and saying I hate this and I hate that and I hate this and I hate that. It's not going to do anything. Love and hate are two very strong words and should be used and treated like they are very strong words. If you want to get a message across of love, you shouldn't just go around telling every random, you know, if you're a single guy or a single girl and you're looking to get married someday, don't just walk around and every girl or guy that you talk to, tell them that you love them on the first, second you meet them. Because it's just going to lose a lot of power and not make any impact. You know, that should be reserved for your spouse, honestly. And, you know, that's a whole other message for another time. I don't want to get too much into that. But it's a strong word. It's something that has a lot of power and a lot of meaning behind it. Make sure that love and hate are two things that you don't abuse Use them the way that they're intended. But the very last one is a time of war and a time of peace. Again, this is similar to the kill and heal section. Obviously, in Christianity, especially as a Christian organization, Christian church, we're not going to go out and just declare war on like this town or something and just go guns a-blazing and, and fight them as a Christian organization. But that doesn't mean that basically the United States gets involved into a war. That doesn't mean that, you know, I don't know, some civil war too happens and all these states are fighting against each other for whatever. It doesn't mean that a Christian is in sin for engaging in war. War has always been a part of our society. It always will be a part of our society until Jesus comes back. And if you ask my personal opinions on war, I prefer to steer as clear of it as I possibly can. I'm for peace. But you know what the Bible says? There's a verse that says, I am for peace, but they are for war. And if a war comes to you, you have the ability to fight back. You don't have to just sit there and submit and roll over, especially if it's something that you don't want to do. And I have news for you. Everyone in this room, you know, I hope everyone in this room, you're an American, all right? You live in a country where your voice actually can influence the government. You live in a country where you have rights where you have all kinds of different things, and you should be aware of them and take note of them and not just roll over to any little thing that you don't like just because you feel like that's what you're supposed to do as a Christian. You have rights. You have things that you're able to do and that you're capable of doing. And just know there is a time of war and there is a time of peace. A lot of times when there's peace for a long time, all of a sudden war comes up and people don't know what to do. With all of this stuff, you just need to be made aware of this. There is a time for everything. The very first verse that we read, to everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under the heaven. Anything that you can possibly imagine is here for a reason. God created this whole world. He created all the different people in it and all these different people have war, have minds of their own. And you can think all the way back to the Garden of Eden where God was dwelling among Adam and Eve and they disobeyed the one commandment that they were giving, and sin entered into the world. 
And so we live in a world that sin has entered into it. So you know what? Until Jesus comes back and there's no longer sin in this world, we will deal with the consequences of sin. We will deal with the tears. We will deal with the wars. We will deal with the fightings. We will deal with all of the different things that sin brings into the world. The important thing is, is that you don't just sit back and pretend like you're already in your glorified body, like you're already in heaven, like things are already perfect around you because they're not. We live in a world that has a bunch of horrible things that happen in it. And if you go through life acting like everything is wonderful and amazing, acting like everything is fine, and you never allow yourself to be changed by the things that happen to you, like grief, like sadness, like any of these other things that are actually very important emotions, you're not going to grow very much as a person. You know, do you really want to be the same way that you were when you were five years old and the way that you thought about things and had, had things happen to you and just everything's fun? You know, and, and I'm going to get into that later in tonight's sermon, but we can't just go through life acting like children. We have to grow up. When experiences happen to us and things happen to us, they should have an impact on us. They should change us. And it's our job to be able to look recognize those things and be able to adapt to the scenarios. You know, in your financial high seasons, don't act like nothing bad can ever happen to you and ruin that. You should prepare that something bad's going to happen. You should look at all the different things that happen in this life and understand that we live in a world full of sin and that we live in a world and we have to deal with the consequences of sin. And if you live a life like that, you prepare for those things, it'll make the good times that much better and it'll make the bad times actually have an impact on your life to the point where mourning can come and it's not that the grief doesn't make you as sad anymore, but you can look at it in a different way and see that, hey, I'm going to be a different and better person on the other side of this. And I'm not going to neglect it and push it off and never address the thing that happened to me, never process the thing that happened to me. If you take that grief and you actually deal with it, you actually process it, you're not going to get to the point where you're just a disaster all the time because you just can't stop being sad. There's nothing wrong with being sad. The problem is, is when the only thing you ever are is sad. And there's nothing wrong with being happy, but it is a problem when the only thing you ever are is happy. That's not real life, all right? I understand that people on social media have fooled all kinds of people today into thinking that life is all rainbows and butterflies for some people. And when you're watching the you know, stuff on TV, it just looks like all these relationships on TV are happy, and I don't know why I fight with my spouse or whatever. No, everybody does. Everybody has disagreements with their spouse. Everybody has you know, not rainbow and butterfly lives. Fake people have that. Hollywood presents that and makes all the people living in this country think that there's something wrong with them. There's not something wrong with you. You know what you are? You're just a person living in a world full of sin. And if you want to have a successful life, you want to be able to deal with these things and process these things, you have to learn and understand that there is a time for everything. There is a season given for everything. You have to know how to respond in those things, and you have to know that the Bible told you that this thing would come. So don't let these things come upon you and take you as a surprise. When sadness or grief comes to you, don't let it take you by surprise. Understand how to deal with it and understand how to process it. God has given you everything you need in the Bible. Draw close to him in these times of grief and let them work you as a person. So with that, let's close in a word of prayer. Father, I thank you for all that you've done for us, Lord. I thank you for the wisdom that you've packed in your word and us being able to just meet together and look at it and all the things that you've said. I pray, Lord, that you would just be with us as we go through the rest of our days and go be with us through the rest of our lives, Lord, and the different things that will come upon us and the tragedies and the sorrowful things that will come, Lord. Help us not to be bitter with you that they happened. 
Help us to just have a good attitude, one like Job had, and truly understanding that you are God and we are subject to you. Help us understand all these things, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.